In a world where heresy blankets the airwaves, religious stuffed shirts suck the life out of Sunday morning, and prosperity teachers rob grandmothers of their pensions, three unassuming ministers endeavor to shine the light of biblical theology and put the fun back in fundamentalism. Broadcasting live from the Hall of Dogma... To you by the number of surahs in the Quran that begin with Muqadda'at. Welcome in to episode 29 of the Gospel Friends. I'm Chase. Uh, I am Emmanuel. And I'm Kevin. And Good to see you guys. <laughs> I, I thought David's intros were bad. That was... That was pretty bad. Well, here's the thing: as and you, you and you may or may not get blown up, uh, as you've uh, as you probably heard, David and Nick both are missing mysteriously, and uh, I'm not a leadoff guy. I don't know how to start the show. I'm more of a number three hitter, so I, you know I don't even know what I'm doing with with the very intro to the show. Uh, do you guys have something better for episode twenty nine? Uh, if, if David was here, I'd say. Episode 29, brought to you by the number of kids that David, Chase, and Nick collectively have. That's close. That's a good one. It That's probably better than the one I picked. If, if I was David, I probably would have hit Wikipedia yeah. and looked up the number 29 and said, brought to you by the atomic number of copper. That's good. That's, it's, again, it's probably better than what I did. Well, you know, maybe David will think long and hard before he's kidnapped or goes missing or, you know, whatever like that again and leaves us in the lurch with me having to lead off the show so ineffectively. Um, Kevin, I understand we have a, a bit of a contest. Yes, uh, I, I remember someone making the comment that uh, Nick sounds like he's trying to woo people Yes, when he is sharing the contact information so i thought we could have us a woo off i i think that sounds grand i i have a i have a kind of a, a favorite at the at the get-go the guy here that sounds most like barry white but let's see if we can uh you or i kevin can make a dent in this anyway all right here i go <clears throat> to all the uh cool dudes groovy chicks and hip cats you can hit us up on the twitter at my gospel friends so you've probably just wooed people f- that are 50 and above from the 60s. Who probably well use, use Facebook yeah. or Apple. There you go. You forgot to invite them to the sock hop <clears throat> or for malt shakes or something. Uh, <laughs> and if you'd like to uh, hit us up on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash group slash hall of dogma, baby. Ah, uh, yeah. But if you want to give us a voicemail, you can call 205-575-9735, and we'd love to hear from you. I think Emmanuel probably won that one. Well, and, and as his prize for winning, he gets to tell him about SpeakPipe. What is SpeakPipe anyway? I, I actually do not know what SpeakPipe is, but... It's not SpeedPipe, right? No, it's not speak. It's not SpeedPipe, but... It's for international listeners to contact the show and leave a message. Uh, awesome. How can they do that? I have no idea. They can go to speakpipe.com slash the gospel friends. What he said. All right. So, guys, what's on tap for the show today? The, the show that's curiously absent, one Mr. Nick and one Mr. David. What are we going to talk about? 
Uh, I've got a story about a church uh, having a service in a restaurant. Good idea or bad idea? I guess it depends on the restaurant. What about you, Kevin? Uh, we're going to talk about uh, parenting a prodigal. Parenting a prodigal. That sounds Probably like a good one. Probably won't be much uh, uh, laughing, joking, or kidding in that section. Have you listened to this show? <laughs> you don't know my sense of humor, do you? Yeah, I was going to say. Well, <laughs> we will laugh at your pain. No, I'm just saying. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, Okay, and I'm going to talk about a topic that I'm a little scared and nervous that I'm going to offend some people, but we're going to talk about the uh, best-selling 10 million copy devotional, uh, Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Good thing, bad thing, neutral thing, something we should investigate. But before we get to that, uh, getting us into the mood of the season, gentlemen, since it's mid-December, I want to start off with you, Kevin Small. What is your favorite Christmas movie, and as well, you might want to say what you think the best Christmas movie is, in case those two answers are different. Uh, For uh, favorite, I would have to go with Elf, because it's one of the few movies I've ever literally laughed every minute of the movie. And that was a, I, I watched it for the first time last week. Really? Believe it or not. And I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, Elf is good. And I don't even I don't even like uh, Will Ferrell. I'm not a Will Ferrell guy either. But I don't I, hate him or nothing. But, but I love Elf. That was a funny movie. And then as far as best, I'm going to go with Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia. It's hard to beat a movie that has both Jesus and Santa Claus. That is it. Actually, I would never have guessed that as a uh, Christmas movie, but Father Christmas is yeah, in it. Yeah. Two for the price of one there. That's, uh, a good, that's a good choice, Kevin. Yeah. That's a, actually a fine movie. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like all the Narnia movies. All right, Emmanuel. Best favorite Christmas movie? To me, the best is it's Christmas Charlie Brown. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. You took mine. It's just an awesome movie. Um, Linus quoting Luke. I mean, it's just a great movie my favorite is a toss-up between gremlins and mickey's christmas carol two of my all-time favorite gremlins and mickey's christmas carol i love christmas gremlins it takes place during christmas time and you know the the guy he gets the mogwai for a christmas gift i remember like who wouldn't want a mogwai um it's just a lot of responsibility to not not get that thing wet when there's snow everywhere and you know Look, uh, those things are pretty scary when they get water on them. Yeah, it goes bad pretty quickly, like most Christmas uh, gatherings do. <laughs> but, I do. Uh, I do need you to clarify something for me. If you can't feed them after midnight, when can you feed them? Because technically, <laughs> at, after you get them, it's always after midnight. It's after midnight and then like before sunrise. Uh, after sunrise, I guess. I don't know. They didn't clear, clarify it, but I'm sure that was a time that's... You know, there's a small window, you know, from 12 to 6, you can't feed them. Maybe. Okay. All right. I'm going to give you mine. You you actually stole mine. Charlie Brown Christmas special is my favorite Christmas movie of all time. It is, uh, you you know, it was almost not uh, allowed on screen. Network uh, executives almost almost blackballed it. They thought it was too religious. Too religious, yep. Yeah. And it, it's a classic. It's a great classic. Uh, if I had to choose, then I'm going to say uh, I could choose It's a Wonderful Life. It's a fine movie. Huh. It's a little saccharine for me. Yeah. Uh, I never did get A Wonderful Life. I just, my mom likes it. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the classic. You know, it's pretty good. A lot of people like Die Hard, but I don't really. Oh, I love Die Hard. Yeah. It's a good movie, but, uh, you know, language and such, but not really very Christmassy. How about. 
Home Alone, maybe, or Rocky Four, another Christmassy type movie that's uh, not often thought of that way. Home Alone is good. I like Home Alone. Yeah. All right. Well, um, any other any other contestants you want to throw out there? Either one of you guys. Uh, um, I do like all of the the old stop stop motion uh, movies. The, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Frosty. The Rankin-Bass stuff. Yeah. It's a little creepy to watch, but, uh, you know, that's, that, that's classics. My daughter, uh, who's three this year, um, she's, she's kind of gotten into a habit of she asked me to sing her a song at night when I'm putting her to bed. And I made the mistake uh, one night in August of telling her the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer song. So literally three times a week since August of this year, I have had to sing her Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer at bedtime while on my phone scrolling through pictures of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And if I don't do that, she will get really, really, really upset at bedtime. If you start it, you got to keep doing it. I, I know, man. I, yeah. I, I should have stopped in August, but uh, I'm committed now. And let this be a listen to all you parents. Don't start traditions with your children. <laughs> let them go to bed on their own. There you go. All right. Well, it's time to play the game. This is ostensibly where we don't talk, and Nick puts the music in, but he hasn't done it in two straight weeks. So uh, here's hoping he does it this time. It's going to be just kind of an awkward pause that you guys have to listen to. Okay, here we go, guys. This is a new game. This is inspired and indeed some somewhat copied from a post on Reddit.com this week that gives people lyrics of popular songs from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and today in regular language or slightly changed up language, and then the person has to guess uh, the name of the song. And so here's how we're going to work it here. I'm going to give you guys the lyrics uh, that's sometimes the title, sometimes the chorus, but anyway, a pretty prominent part of songs you guys both should know, and you guess the name of the song and the artist. Mm. And I'll be pretty liberal with giving you points. If you get the name of the song, you get a point. If you get the artist, you get another point. So two points per song, and I'll give you an example. Here we go. Either one of you guys can answer this. What song is this? Greeting Stranger. I know this may be out of the ordinary, but here's my contact information. Perhaps we'll be in touch one day. I what know, song uh, is that? that? That Call Me Baby song? That's it. Call Me Maybe by? Beyonce. Beyonce is a fine guess, unless you're Beyonce, who's probably terribly insulted by that. But the answer is, in fact, Carly Rae Jepsen. So, Kevin, you would have gotten one point on that. and I didn't know that one. Okay, well, hopefully I, you'll I know, know some of these. I song, but I wouldn't know. What's your favorite era of music there, Emmanuel? Favorite era? Probably the 90s and 80s. Okay. Well, there's some 90s and 80s songs yeah. in here. I've, I've, picked out, uh, I've picked out I've picked out literally 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and even a song that's just a hit this year. Yeah. So we'll start with you, Kevin. Here is your lyric. You tell me the artist and the title. Call and me you, maybe by Beyonce. You've got two <laughs> points. Well done. All right, over to you. Here it is. 
A presumably affluent woman is purchasing an escalated walkway, which leads to the Judeo-Christian idea of the afterlife. Such a thing leads me to contemplate. Stairway to Heaven. You got it. By Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton is a good guest, but many people are out there in (laughs) podcast land shouting to you, Led Zeppelin. That was bad. Was Eric Clapton in Led Zeppelin? No. Uh, Not to my knowledge. No, he was in Cream. (laughs) There you go. All right, that's one point to Kevin. Over to you. I need you to learn your your rock stars. Here's another one from a similar time period, Emmanuel. Despite my stutter, I am attempting to discuss the group of people who were born within the same time period as me. Despite my stutter, I am attempting to discuss the group of people who were born within the same time period as me. I have no idea. That's a tough one. There's some tough ones in here, some easy ones, but the answer is, in fact, talking about my generation by The Who. Uh, I don't like The Who. Nah, well, I'm not a huge fan as well. I wouldn't have got that one anyway. That's okay. One nothing still over to you. That was clever, though. This is a, this is a quick one. Ah, Candied Offspring. Ah, Candied Offspring. What 80s song could that be? Sugar Baby. That's a good guess. But is that your final answer? Because <laughs> it's not right. The correct answer is Sweet, Sweet Child of Mine Sweet Child of uh, by Guns N' Roses. All right. I think which would have been great because I would have embarrassed myself by saying Aerosmith. <laughs> oh, that would have been. Awkward. I was, I was listening to that the other day. All right, we're getting to some more modern stuff. Over to you, Emmanuel. You're still down one to nothing. Presently, this is a tale of the circumstances that led up to my life being changed in a dramatic way. And if you'll sit here and listen to me for 60 seconds, I'll relay you to you the events that led to me becoming a junior royal of a rich American residential area in California. Sounds like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song. By? Fresh Prince. Who was also known as? Will Smith. Will Smith. That's two points for Emmanuel. The score right now is two to one. All right, Kevin, this is a uh, much more recent song. Um, There's really no reason to lower the volume. What song is that and who sings it, if sing is the proper word there? There's really no reason to lower the volume. Or perhaps I should say, why should I lower the volume? I got, I got nothing. <laughs> or if I was little John, I would say, turn down, turn down for, for what? There we go. Two to one. Although it had nothing to do with volume, but go ahead. Well, I guess, yeah, that really didn't have a whole lot to do with volume. But I knew that one. And okay. now you're going to give me one that I don't know. No, no, I think you're probably going to get I'm this gonna one. I'm going to give you another one like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Hey, well, it's not that quite was, like the that Fresh Prince. tough. This, this one's one of the easier ones, uh, and uh, you're, you're going to get one too, Kevin. So over to you, Emmanuel. I don't assert that the female is a minor. However, she isn't beleaguering any bankrupt African-Americans. What is the song, and who is the artist? The artist is Kanye West. The song is Gold Digger. Gold Digger, one of the uh, stalwarts of great American songwriting is Gold Digger. That's Kanye four points West. to you, Emmanuel. He's a, he's a genius. You like Kanye? Oh, yeah. He's a big fan of George Bush as well. <laughs> is he really? No kidding? No. no I was going to say, I, I did not think he was. <laughs> I am afraid I'm not an expert on uh, Mr. West. So that's four to one. Over to you. 
Kevin, excuse me, I seem to have made the same mistake I made earlier. Oops, I did it again, but Britney Spears. Got it. Awesome. <laughs> good get. I thought I thought you were uh was good. wavering there, but you got it. So that's four to three, if my math is correct. Uh, over to you, Emmanuel. Infant, you must strike me once more. Hit me, baby, one more time. That's also, good. Britney Spears. Very good, very good. <laughs> it is six to three. Uh, here's a bit of a gimme for you, Kevin, as we pull into the end of the game. My preference is for larger fundaments. I must be honest about that. Uh, would that be I Like Big Butts by Sir Mix-a-Lot? You can't say that on the air. What's wrong with you, that's Kevin? Not, that's not the name of the song. That's close enough. It's close enough. What is the name of the song? Baby Got Back. Oh, that is correct. That is oh, the name of the song. Oh, you're absolutely right. I blew that. Okay, so six to five. Over to you, Emmanuel. I, I'm afraid you are the mathematical winner, winner, but you still get the question. Individuals that typically hate will hate. Individuals that typically have falsified personalities will remain to do so. What song is that? That is the most modern song in this, uh, in this list. I'll give you a hint there. I know something about haters gonna hate or something, but I don't. I don't listen to modern music. That's close enough for a point. That is "Shake It Off" by Young Miss Taylor Swift. Oh, oh God! Which gives you the the uh, seven to five victory over Mister Small, and means your topic, Emmanuel, goes first in our discussions tonight. So. Where are you going to lead us? I understand we're going to talk about a church meeting in a restaurant. That sounds terribly boring. This is a it's a fun story. Uh, a local church. Um, it's a Methodist church, and they've decided to start having a morning service on Sundays at Buffalo Wild Wings. Well, a, well now you've piqued my interest because I like to eat a, uh, a a wing establishment. I don't know if our international listeners have Buffalo Wild Wings, but. Um, it's a kind of a place where you get beer and wings and that kind of thing. Uh, Do you think our international listeners actually have wings? Do they have wa- uh, buffalo wings in other countries? I don't know. but uh, th- I hope so, because if not, you're missing out on something amazing. Yeah. Um, so my thought was, it's a good idea or a bad idea? They're trying to reach out to, a, I guess, a different demographic. Um uh, Get out of the stuffy church building and, you know, uh, reach some unchurched people. What do you think, Kevin? Is that a good idea or a bad idea? I I think it goes back to what I've heard Nick talk about churches who do their summer movie series. Not being able to judge what their motives are in this. If they're doing it to be cool and get publicity, I'm not a fan. If they're truly going, we're trying to reach – a different group of people in a different place. I'm all for that. But uh, but if they're doing it just to be cool, yeah, they I'm say, never a big fan they of They say they're trying to just reach people who normally wouldn't go to church. And so the environment of Buffalo Wild Wings would, um, I guess, make them feel more comfortable. Um, and they did say that no beer would be served during the, during the service, which... It's kind of kind of a letdown, but because <laughs> that would be cause that would be awesome. That is interesting. And the pastor says no beer will be served as part of the service. We're going to encourage people to stay for lunch, stay for sports. This is part of the partnership. We'll help them with their business because they're helping us. Huh? 
look, I, I think in some senses this is a it's a fine idea. You know, it could could you do it in a sellout sort of way? Sure. Here's the one thing I like about it. I guess I'll say a negative and a positive. One thing I like about it is. It, it shows very clearly what most American Christians have no idea about, which is namely that the church has nothing to do with a building. Yeah, that's what uh, I like about it. Yeah. I mean, the, the church, the, the word itself, the ecclesia, the, the Greek word, it means assembly, a gathering of people. The church is all about people. It has nothing to do with a, a sort of a religious facade. Uh, that's actually one thing I appreciate about, about the Hall of Dogma Church is it is an ugly metal building that is, pa- that is painted perhaps the most unflattering color you could possibly think of. Uh, no offense to whoever painted it. I have no idea who did that. But just a – Somebody who liked their 70s refrigerator? I guess so because that's about what color it is, kind of a really – soap. Taupe is it? Is it is taupe? It I, is? I don't know the those the girl colors. I just ecru ecru. I see. What are you, an artist? Yeah, I'm impressed. I know my color palette. What can I say? I'm a Renaissance man. There you go. I would say uh, kind of a light tan, but I, I imagine Emmanuel's got it nailed more than I do. But the church isn't a building, and, and that's one thing I appreciate about this. Um, my hope is um, that the gospel would, would be kind of prominent there. My fear is it might not be. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think the church has been far too building-centric for far too long. We have a, a large church here in town that spent well over $50 million uh, in the last couple of years for a building. I'll just be honest with you guys, that bothers me on a lot of levels. Um, it really, really bothers me. You know, yeah, you're using the building and all that kind of good stuff, but uh, that's a little – wackadoodle with your priorities there I, th- I think one thing that that could be good for this if this is where their heart is is the church has gotten really bad about not being out in the community mm. um you know an opportunity to go to a place that uh, people don't normally go i think of a, a pastor a friend i know who literally his daily routine is like on a monday he'll just go up to a barber shop and sit down in that barber shop all day and talk to people coming in or getting their hairs cut, um, and so if it's if it's getting the church out in the community, I think it's I think it's a good thing. Um, but like I said, if it's a publicity stunt, shame. yeah, I agree with that. You guys think more churches should sell their buildings and do stuff like this? <sighs> this particular church, I don't believe, is selling their building, or they don't have a building. They're they're a relatively new church, um, I think, if I remember correctly, but. Just the same. Should the churches do more selling of their buildings and, and meet in public places like this? I don't know if I say sell the building. If the building's paid for, then, I, you know, it's paid for. Um, my pastor, we actually rent a space. Um, and, you know, and his his thing is, he says that the bank shouldn't own the church. And But also, if you own a building or if you're renting a building or, well, say renting, but if you have a mortgage, um, it puts a lot of pressure on you to like keep the money flowing. And mm-hmm. I've been in churches where got this building and then membership just nosedive and now you have this huge mortgage and it's just trying to keep your head above water now. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, but I, I think buildings are, are, are fine to have. $50 million seems a bit excessive. Yeah, um, but it's hard to tell because the Bible doesn't say you can't have a nice building, but at the same time, it's kind of like 
you know, that money could have went elsewhere. Um, but then is, you is say, it fair to say that the Bible gives us priorities as the Church of the Living God, of which buildings does not appear to be one of the priorities? Or am yeah, I being a, a little pro- fair say? It's not there? a priority, but the people in that church give the money, and if that's what they want to give to, it's kind of hard to tell them no. I guess you could dissuade them. I mean, I, I've seen church budgets where of local churches where they spent, you know, sixty grand on copying, like printing costs like copy paper and stuff and ink and i'm like 60 grand that's that's i think that was a year and i'm like 60 grand a year just on printing things and i'm not gonna say that's a sinful way to spend money but it's a lot of money it's a lot of money for printing things like yes it is just buy everybody an ipad or you know a tablet and then just just send it out to them it'd probably be cheaper actually it probably would than 60 grand a year so it gets dicey once you talk about the money thing but you know if they if they're doing this as a gimmick i don't like gimmicks um but i do think it is a good way like kevin said to get out in the community um you know, have service in the park or something, you know, have service at a different location every week. Do some, you know, um, I think there are a lot of different ways you can do just to get outside of the building. Because like you said, we've been so uh, indoctrinated that things have to happen in this building and, and churches have been kind of guilty of trying to keep people in the building. Hey, you know, don't go out on Halloween. Come here and have trunk or treat. Or don't go out and do this. Come here and, you know, and do that. It's like trying to keep everybody inside this building instead of letting Christians go out into the world and be people. You know, trying to keep everybody kind of cloistered into one place. So, yeah. so you're saying we should focus more on building monasteries? Is uh, am I understanding you <laughs> correctly? There? I think the thing with the monasteries is the monks. The monks built those themselves. They didn't, you know, they just bought the materials and built it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's so it's cheaper. So if you want to build your own fifty true. million dollar building, and they brewed and, beer, which kind of covered some costs for them. Exactly. So I think there's a place to to be creative in what you do. Uh, on one hand, you, if you have a if you have a church building that, you, like, say you're paying a mortgage on and you're using it for Sunday service, and then it sets empty the rest of the week, I don't know how uh, how good of a steward of your money that is. Uh, I've heard stories of uh, there's a church in Atlanta that that's all they use their church for is Wednesday night and Sunday night service. So they hooked up with like a, a dance studio who was also looking for a building and said, hey. You can do your dance studio Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then we'll do church Sunday, Wednesday, and and, and the dance studio save money. The church kind of split the cost. Uh, I've heard of churches. That, 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 that brings up a whole other issue. Like, you know, does so that mean like the church is subletting? So are, are they like running a business? Well, subletting. I don't know if they'd say running a business, but I, I know They're I know renting the building to somebody else and. It, they get There's some complicated rules that govern that, govern that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a friend. His his uncle's church. They own some McDonald's. No and, kidding. In, in Texas, yeah, and they um and they use it to do like job training programs and stuff like that. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's you know. And, and I know of at least two churches that have walked away from their buildings and are in movie theaters now, and they have grown significantly because it, it frees up a lot of money uh, to, mm-hmm. to rent a building. And, and apparently it's become such a big thing that uh, Regal Cinemas, for example, has a division that is actually works with churches 
who have their church in the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know one of the pastors you're talking about, and he says it's uh, it's it's really a good experience for them. It's quite expensive. Uh, I mean, at least in my mind, it's it strikes me as expensive. But at the same time, it's very simple. And if something breaks or you know, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about replacing carpet. You don't have to worry about any of those kind of things. Yeah, in taxes. a sense, that's kind of refreshing. Yeah, no property taxes. No property taxes. That's right. That's yeah. right. Churches, by the way, do pay taxes. No utilities. Um, we, you know, our church, for instance, I think we have a nonprofit, but everything we buy, we pay taxes on. We pay property tax. Um, things like that. So, yeah, doing that, doing it in that sort of way, you avoid some complications that can very often get your eyes off of ministry. Like the, the Hall of Dogma Church was built in the 80s, so not very old. But at the same time, you have old toilets, you have uh, things that wear out. And sometimes it's easy to have an overfocus on the building, an overfocus on maintenance, an overfocus on the grass. When uh, I guess, in a sense, those are essential things, but they're not first and second commandment things. Yeah, and if you have grass, then you got to pay to keep it, you know, keep it manicured and all that. She did. It's another cost, and it's like, is that really a gospel? It, you know, it gets dicey because I don't want to say churches shouldn't have nice. Topiaries and, and things, but no, oh, it's a big word. Yeah, I don't even know what it means, but I know it has something to do with <laughs> with bushes. Uh, if you know what topiary means, call us in. Be the third caller, and you will win an autographed T-shirt uh, from Emmanuel. So, but uh, you know, I, I, it didn't hurt anything for them to have it. It you know, um, it has something Buffalo to do with Wild. sculpting shrubs. By the way, yeah. All right, we should do that more here, Kevin. You want to be in charge of that? Sure. Okay. Now here's here's another question. Not to, you know, I wonder how many people they're going to alienate because they're having their service in a place that serves alcohol, even though they're not serving alcohol at the exact time uh, they're having services. Because some people could frown on that. Uh, some are, people could. That's these are, true. These are Methodists. So Methodists. I don't, I don't think they frown too they much. They don't have a problem that, with it. Yeah. But uh, I don't mean that as an insult. Yeah. Uh, there might be some theological um, thorns I would pick with Methodists, but that certainly wouldn't be one of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I th- I, uh, here's the thing. I, I think in a city, you probably should have churches that meet in Buffalo Wild Wings and churches that meet in libraries and churches that meet in buildings like the Hall of Dogma Church, which are just completely functional buildings, and churches that meet in buildings like a, a really nice old Presbyterian church with stained glass windows. Um I, I could see how the multiplicity myriadness of that could could be used by God to reach a variety of different people. Uh, although, you know, I, I think there's there's ways to do this, Kevin, which I think you pointed out that is gimmicky, and I, I'm I'm I, I'm adverse to that as well. All right. So thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm gonna say thumbs up. I say thumbs up with the caveat, I do it for the right reason. There you go. I'll give it a three-quarters thumbs up. Um, I will say this. If I'm in a church service at a Buffalo Wild Wings, my 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 mind might be uh, on wings a little more than normal. Yeah, which I, don't, is still, I, I don't think I could pay attention just because of the environment. Just, yeah. I'd be kind of looking around, but... But for you two guys who value short sermons, that would really probably lend itself to cutting off any sort of long sermon. You're not going to preach a long sermon in a Wild Wings while you smell those delicious things cooking. That is I true. Think. I know I would not. 
A funny little uh, hot wings and Bible study story. A few years back, there was a local church that was doing a Bible study at the competitor of Buffalo Wild Wings Hooters, which has its own issues. And uh, the church I was at the time had a lot of homeschool families in it. And the pastor was making the comment about the Bible study, and he made the comment that, look, if you're at Hooters, you're not going to be concentrating on the Bible. And one of the homeschool kids sitting in front of me looks at his mom and goes, you're absolutely right, because all you'll be thinking about is hot wings. <laughs> That's awesome. That is a good – that is a great homeschool story. If you ever start speaking at homeschool conventions, Kevin, I would lead off with that story because everybody would love it. <laughs> Except for the really, really, really snooty people in the audience who probably would be offended just to hear the word Hooters. Okay. Um, no, kind want, of a. No, I want hot wings really, really bad. I, I, I do too, man. What time do they close? Uh, I think they close at 10 30 uh, or man. 11. No, well, then we're sunk because we still got some show to do. I think that BP down the street has hot wings all night. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> that doesn't sound quite as good to me. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Not, not as good. No, I like gas station food, but I don't know about gas station hot wings. But fried chicken, yes. Hot wings, uh. You like gas station fried chicken? Oh, man. It's the best. Ugh. My wife is. That sounds nasty. <laughs> my wife, and I've told her, look, the best food is in places you're afraid to eat. Yeah, I'm and, afraid to eat at a gas station usually. <laughs> and, like, she went on a trip to New Jersey to, to go to a funeral, and they stopped at a gas station, and she finally had her first taste of gas station food. Well, what did she say? She was shocked how good it was. Uh, well, maybe I'd be yeah. shocked, too. Yeah. There, there is a- it might have had a hint of 89 octane on it, but other than that, she felt really good. <laughs> there are, in some of the more... Um, uh, shall I say, rural locations around here, there are gas stations that sell pizza. And there are people that swear by that gas station pizza, but I, I haven't tried it. I, Hunts I Brothers Pizza is that's, the best pizza. That's what I'm thinking. It can't be. It's gas station pizza. That's, my wife says it's great, but I, I haven't even touched the Look, stuff. And you haven't lived till you had Chester Fried Chicken at a gas station. Chester Fried Chicken and Hunts Brothers Pizza. Uh, okay, well, the next segment of our show is brought to you by Chester's Fried Chicken and Hunt's <laughs> Brothers Pizza, the best food you've never tried because it is at a stinking gas station. Um, and they are sponsoring a segment that is very serious and that we won't be laughing quite as much about, um, about uh, parenting prodigals. And Kevin, I understand you have a lot of experience with this. You've started a blog, myhopejourney.co. Correct. Um, tell us, tell us, just kind of give us a couple of minutes about your uh, your personal life, as personal as you want to be, as to how that blog started and what you got you guys kind of on this path of talking about prodigals. Uh, about two years ago, we found out that our son was a drug addict, and uh, he had been uh, he had been walking with the Lord up to that point. I mean, he was in, on on a youth worship team. Was a, I mean, he loved to worship, uh, cared about people, raised money to send them to, to camp and, and would give you the shirt off his back. And then he fell in with the, the wrong crowd. Uh, the Bible says that uh, bad company corrupts good character, and we saw that. He, uh, he got involved with drugs, and his life literally fell apart. Uh, my wife and I looked to get help. We were referred to a very large church in the area that was supposed to have a very large 
uh, ministry to parents of addicts. And we got there, and basically they told us it was a support group. You know, your kid will never get better. And we're just here to support you through all the pain your child's going to put you through. And there was there was no hope. There was no no anything. And you're, you're serious? They they really told you that? Oh yes, yes. Uh, that's terrible. Yes, it was terrible. Heart wrenching, uh, especially when you're grasping at straws as it is. And uh, as you guys know, I've been in church for a long time. Uh, drug addiction is not something that typically comes up on a Sunday morning in the uh, lexicon. And uh, that is the correct term, right? Lexicon. Well, it's close enough. What do you call it when you preach? Le- lectionary. Thank you. Lectionary. <laughs> either one. But uh, didn't come up in the lexicon a lot either. No, no, neither. Neither one. You're but, right. But uh, you know, we uh, we really didn't know what to do, um, and uh, we were we were hurting a lot. Uh, David uh, referred us to Emmanuel. Emmanuel uh, met with Jeremiah and. Uh, when they would meet, it, it would seem like things would click, but addiction's a powerful thing. And, you know, uh, he would get back out, get running with the people he's running with, and, and go back to uh, destroying his life. And uh, you had encouraged Heather and I to, to open up to, to people. I mean, basically told us to email everybody we know, Facebook everybody we know, and, and get them to pray. And, uh, and, and that happened. And, and there came a point where God, I felt like, said, uh, if he's going to oppose me, I'm going to oppose him. And literally everything he touched fell apart. I mean, he lost two vehicles, lost mm. jobs. Everybody that was supposed to be his friend was robbing from him. Nobody could keep a promise. Uh, and then came the day he ended up in jail. And, uh, you know, I'm at work and people are hitting me up. Uh, hey, your son's on Facebook because the the story of the, the the picture of him being arrested made the rounds, and and probably the the most painful thing for us was uh, somebody posted on the one of the articles. Why don't they just kill people like that? Save us a lot of trouble. That was one of the comments on the AL dot com. They had to be AL dot com. Most godforsaken. Oh my gosh! Well, I was going to say mean, the most godforsaken, but that would probably go to Yahoo dot com. Because those comments are horrible, but AL.com, AL.com YouTube.com, yeah, it's like those comments are attached to the internet in hell written by people <laughs> down there who are already who just there. Are, like, just like yeah. so awful. Uh, okay, we're talking to Kevin Small, author of the MyHopeJourney.co blog, and Kevin is telling us about his story that uh, is gut-wrenching to listen to but has hope in it as well. Yes, because at the point uh, we were, we were so willing to give up hope, and different times, different people kind of had to come alongside of us and kind of prop us up, because uh, two years of something like that's a really dark place. But uh, there was a point once he got arrested, took about four months in jail, and uh, God started to get a hold of him, and he was willing to admit he needed help. Uh, agreed to go to a Christian uh, drug drug intervention, and uh, and the same God that seemed to be opposing him began to move heaven and earth. Uh, he had a judge who refused to reduce his bail, uh, and actually initially had refused to let him go to rehab, and uh, she got him uh, reduced to a very reasonable bail. She agreed to send him to rehab, and. Uh, 
our son has been there for a little over three months now, and everybody who sees him, everybody who hears from him, can see that that God is working in his life. Well, praise God for that. Yeah, that's great. If there's one silver lining in this story, I'm sure you found, Kevin, is that virtually nobody in the church uh, or Christendom is going through the same thing, correct? Well, that that has been one of the the amazing things is we felt really alone uh, going through that. Not that we didn't have people praying for us and people encouraging us, but... We just felt like we are the worst parents ever because we are the only people going through this. But uh, after we began to share on Facebook, after we began to to, to email friends, and, and especially now that I've started this blog, so many people go, hey, I thought I was the only one going through this. And it's amazing the number of people who are in our churches, who are in our circle of friends, people we work with. Who are secretly going through the same thing, but they're embarrassed. They're they're don't have hope, and uh, they just need to know they're not going through it by themselves. They're yeah. not the only one. Yeah. For the record, I was being sarcastic. I, I think listening to you reading your blog, it, it is obvious that this is a problem that the church is not talking about uh, very much, but that is. Uh, uh, maybe not universal to everybody, but much, much more widespread than you would imagine. Um, well, I tell you what, Emmanuel, how about you and I ask Kevin some questions, and I'll probably ask you some questions as well, uh, owing to your uh, your work as a uh, professional counselor and superhero during the day. Uh, first question I want to ask you, Kevin, is somebody's listening to this uh, with teenagers. You know, we've got a lot of parents listening to the show. What would you, uh, what would you tell parents to look for as warning signs that, that things might be headed in this direction? Well, I, I think more so than just specifically a warning sign. Like there's like a, there's a magic thing that you see. I think when you see change in your child's behavior mm-hmm. don't be quick to just explain it away like oh they've just started going to college and it's the stress of being at college or they've got midterms or things are hard at work or or be naive enough to say my child would never do something like this because i think that was the big thing we did we started seeing changes in his character and we just kind of explained it away. We found an excuse for the reason he was acting that way. So I think just be aware of your child's character or behavior changing and don't be quick to just explain it away. Okay, that's good. Emmanuel, I know you've dealt with probably more adults that have wrestled with addiction of various kinds, specifically drug addiction. What kind of signs are there things you can look for? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think one one part is uh, who the, who they hang around. You know, there's an old saying: "You show me your friends, I'll show you your future." Mm-hmm. There's a lot of truth to that because, and especially with 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 teenagers who want to fit in, and they will hang out with where they're accepted, um, and whoever you know, whoever accepts them in, and they'll do what that those kids do. Um, and so, if if they change, they have friends who are good one day and all of a sudden they have a different set of friends you're not sure about that could be a uh, a good indicator or if you just never see their friends anymore and so you know friends they don't want to bring around that might be uh, something to look for um but obviously and it's hard to tell uh with teenagers because 
we write a lot of stuff off as where they're just teenagers. And teenagers, they got all these hormone changes, these life changes, there's all these. So you kind of look at the mood swings or behavior changes as, as a normal thing. Uh, but sometimes it's, it's, it's not normal. It's, it's, it's something else. Uh, what else? Being secretive. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, uh, so they used to be outgoing and, you know, but now they're just kind of not necessarily just being isolated because, you know, teenager might be in the room a lot, but just really just seem like they're sneaking around and, you know, and that kind of feeling like, well, why are they sneaking around? That could be a, a, a telltale sign as well. well. Oh, I mean, so, so some of these signs, uh, obviously could, could point towards grave danger. How, how would you tell a parent to respond if you see some of these things or Kevin, as a parent, either one of you that wants to go first, how would you counsel another parent to respond if they, if they have suspicions? And I don't just mean normal parent suspicions because parents apparently are fairly suspicious people, uh, speaking from experience, but, uh, how does a parent respond in, in a wise way that's not overreacting and or underreacting? I think one of the issues that, that we have in our society right now is we forget that parents are parents and, um, you know, I want to have a good relationship with my children, but I'm their parent. I'm not, I'm not their buddy. And so I think that if you see things that give you concern, you don't need to be scared to talk to your child about it. I mean, you don't have to go, hey, you're doing drugs now, aren't you? But, you know, try to talk through it and say, I've been noticing these changes. And based on their responses, you can see some of that. If Are they being evasive with their answers? That should give me concern. Or if they if – they, Say things and you, and you know your child and are like, okay, that makes sense that if they're dealing with this at school or they're dealing with this at work, then that would make sense. But um, and and I think the other thing to that that we are so bad about as Christians is often we wait till the last minute to pray about something hmm. that uh, it's like, well, we tried these things and now we're going to pray. Yeah. Um, I think it's very important to to realize if you're dealing with a prodigal child uh, that there is no there is no uh, threat there is no rule without God that is going to get them into to the kingdom or deliver them from say drug addiction rules and, don't change hearts correct and and by the flip side you know for the enabling parent. You know, while the kindness of God leads to redemption, uh, there is no amount of bri- you're not going to bribe a child into the kingdom either. So I think that's, that's very sound advice. You you need you need to be the parent and you need to involve God. Okay, you have anything to add to that, Emmanuel? No, that's good. All right, both of you guys hit on a dynamic that I, that I think is very significant, and that is. Uh, that a lot of times these kind of issues happen when an adult or a teenager, I, but I mean, you know, maybe more specifically a teenager, is hanging around with the wrong crowd. Now, parents for generations have beat their head against the wall trying to think of the best way to keep their children away from the wrong crowd. And wives, you know, maybe her, maybe you're, you're a wife listening to this, your husband run, runs with the wrong crowd, or vice versa. How can you help somebody as a parent? Kevin, as a counselor and as a friend, how can you help somebody steer away from the wrong crowd? 
obviously different answer for a, the parent of a teenager and then the uh, a spouse or a friend. But how can we help somebody avoid this, especially when they're hell bent on not listening? Well, I think I think there's a place that you know, if the child's young enough, uh, and this is one thing that that uh, I was a youth pastor for years would blow my mind. You get a parent. I don't know why my, my child dresses like this, and I'm like, well. She's 14. She doesn't have a job. She's not going out and buying the stuff herself. I, I think there's a place. You know, the child lives in your house. Uh, you know, and drives a car you're providing. I mean, you just flat out go. Here's the deal. These are the rules. This is what you're going to do. And part of those rules are you're not going to hang around with with this kind of crowd. Um, and you just have to make the decision of you're not going to do these things in, in my house now. That doesn't always go smooth. Um, you know, when we kind of had to take that stand with our son, he, he moved in with uh, another relative who kind of let him have free run. But I, I think it uh, on the late end, you just kind of have to put your foot down. But hopefully you can catch it on, on the early enough end uh, that you can give wise counsel to your child. You, you built that relationship and go, hey, <clears throat> you keep going down this path that's going to lead you to a wrong place. Yeah. And I would also add that you have to raise a child. And this is obviously easier said than done to be their own person, to be comfortable being an outcast. If they're, if they are be comfortable being, um, you know, uh, you know, not with a cool crowd or whatever. Um, when I was a teenager, I was not, I was not my own person. I was a follower uh, for the most part. So I just did what everybody else was doing, <laughs> which was usually illegal. Um, <laughs> but my brother was different. He was comfortable being who he was, and he didn't care if people made fun of him. He didn't really – he just was doing his thing, and he was comfortable in his own skin. And, um, you know, so if you can raise your child to be be okay with being themselves – um, it won't be as easy for them to be influenced by other people. Good. All right. So final question. Somebody's listening to this and they're, they're knee deep in the thick of it. They're at that place of hopelessness. No, no support around them. Um, you know, they have a prodigal son or daughter. Uh, you know, maybe they're prodigal. Maybe they're running away from God because of drugs or maybe it's something else. Uh, what can you guys say that gives real hope to that person listening to this in this situation? I don't mean some sort of spiritual platitude because I think the church is is good about giving out good about giving out spiritual platitudes. <laughs> they were that are my meaningless. answer. Uh, <laughs> what what kind of concrete something can we give to people listening to this in the midst of this struggle? A bit of advice. Uh, a bit of counsel and exhortation, uh, some word of comfort or hope. Um, I, you know, the whole purpose of your blog, Kevin, is to give people hope that are going through similar situations. What do you say to the person listening to this right now going through that situation? I say that you're not alone. There, There is hope. And it's not always going to feel that way. But you've got to remind yourself of the times that God has come through uh, in your life. Uh, you know that's another thing we're we're trying to do is you say we've been in that dark place and we've seen God move. So the hopefully would encourage somebody else. I think back to 
in in biblical times, you know, they would build uh, an altar, you know, take twelve stones and build an altar to remove. So you, when people go by here, they'll remember when God did this thing. But one prayer I would encourage uh, parents to pray, and it's based off of Psalm uh, ninety. Verse 14, which says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Take that Bible verse and pray over your prodigal that they will find satisfaction in nothing but God. That anything else that they try to satisfy themselves with that is not God, will, will they will know that they are not being satisfied. Going through this situation with your son, have you found prayer to be effective? Yes. Um, and, and it a situation like this takes you to a different understanding of prayer. It's It takes you out of that, you know, now I lay me down to sleep kind of praying. And you, when you're actually pleading for someone's life, for someone's soul, um it is. It, it brings you to a deeper relationship with God. Uh, you also find when you're praying for other people, it's no longer that cute. You know, hey Lord, he'll 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 Bob. He doesn't feel well. To where you actually are pleading with God to bring healing. So, I think we found that we have a much deeper prayer life. But we have seen God uh, be faithful uh, in 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 answering prayers, and I th- and I think part of that. Is not just you know anything magical that my wife and I have done, but literally we would have hundreds of people uh, praying for him, and uh, that would be my other encouragement. Don't be don't be ashamed that you're in the situation to where you won't reach out to your pastor, to your elders, to your friends, to your men's ministry, women's ministry. Get everybody you can to pray for your child. Yeah, so if the Bible is true, and it is, and if indeed the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, that's the thing that's impressed me, Kevin, is you and your wife have gone through this situation. You have not hesitated to ask people to pray for you uh, via social media, in person, during church gatherings, or whatever. And I think ultimately... Uh, God has moved greatly through that and, and is really opening the door for you guys to have a ministry to hundreds, dozens, thousands of people kind of going through the same kind of thing because you didn't shrink back and hide in a closet, but you rallied the people of God to cry out to God on behalf of your son. I think it's the wisest thing you could have done. Let me ask a question to you two guys because one thing – when we began to open up that we struggled with and, and actually my, my defense mechanism is to make jokes and I often have uh, made the joke to Rev Verbage that my wife and I are going for neediest family of the Holodogma Church. Um, what would you say to somebody who – you know, OK, they've gotten past the – maybe the embarrassment of, of dealing with this with a child and they're asking for prayer, and they're going up to the altar, and people are praying for them. And there's a point where they feel like, okay, now I'm just being needy. And that starts to get them to shrink back from prayer. Hmm. Chase is looking at me. Uh, I, that's what the church is for. You know, it's, you know, it, to pray. 
And I'm kind of the same way. Like if if I if I if I do a prayer request on one Sunday, you will not see me do another one. You know, probably the rest rest of the year. I'm just because everybody knows that person who always needs prayer for everything, and which I guess is a good thing. But it's like you know what I'm saying. You don't want to be that person. Um, but if you're if you if you're in a church who doesn't want to pray for life and death situations, then you need to find a new church. Um, you know, I mean, because they should be ready to pray for you every time the doors open. Um, that that would be my take. Uh, I I agree with that. Look, I, I would I would say to that. Um, I mean, I I would go to Luke eighteen. Uh, the the parable of the persistent widow, where where Jesus teaches us how to pray, and that's that that's that parable where it's so important that we know the meaning that uh, Luke tells us in at Luke eighteen one he says Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart or never give up. It's so important that we get the meaning of that parable right there. It tells us exactly what it means. You know, it's not like one of the parables where you kind of have to. You know, dig for meaning. It's it's just obvious, and and the obvious thing it says is always pray, never give up. And and I, I think, I mean, I think you know, you go to Jesus in Matthew seven seven. Uh, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. I, I think the thing to do in your situation, in anybody's situation that that is praying and crying out to God for something, is to not give up until. It, the prayer is fully answered, and there's no there's no shame in that. Um, there's no neediness in that. You're doing precisely what the Bible tells you to do, and, and precisely what the people back in the day did. Like great men of God, like George Mueller and Reese Howells, uh, a tremendous intercessor. They prayed through something, and we don't pray through so much in the church in, in America now. We pray mm-hmm. a little bit, and if the prayer isn't answered, we assume that the answer is no. But that's not how Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to always pray and never give up. Uh, you shouldn't. I can understand what you're saying. You feel needy about that, Emmanuel. I can understand what you're saying because no one wants to burden other people, uh, essentially. Except we are the body of Christ. We're supposed to bear each other's burdens. I think the reason why we don't see more victory and fruit in the church in America today, despite the fact that we have fifty million dollar buildings and a ton of money and great programs and a ton of seminary trained people, is we don't pray through. We give up too soon. And the very thing Jesus said not to do, always pray, never give up. So keep it up. And if if that still small voice tells you you're just being needy, then rebuke it in the name of Jesus because that's not God. That's yeah. a different still small voice. Yeah. yeah. And it's just basically guilt. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And guilt doesn't solve any problems. Absolutely. Yeah, Man, right. it's been a privilege to pray for your family as you. as you guys yeah. have fought through this. I think it's been a great testimony to the, the HOD church and, and everybody you guys know and the people that read the uh, myhopejourney.co blog and the people that are listening to the podcast right now. Um, you know, essentially, I, I don't think we come out swimming, swinging enough as Christians and, and, and keep it up. And Jesus tells us just absolutely the opposite. Um, don't give up. Don't stop praying. Persist, persist, persist. Man, you guys got me preaching a little bit there. I, <laughs> I apologize. This is something I'm passionate yeah, about. Preach. 
All right. Any closing words on on this? Don't give up. Don't give up. Amen. Amen. Anything you would want to say, Emmanuel, as a as a man of counsel? Uh, yeah. If you're in that situation, uh, do what Kevin did. You know, try to find people who are like minded, who you know, who understand your situation. They are out there. Um, it just may it may not be easy to find them where you are, but they do exist. All right. Well, that brings us to our last topic, and I think we got about a dozen minutes to cover this. I got to be honest with you guys. I'm entering into this with a bit of fear and trepidation. I am a little hesitant to breach this topic because I know there's probably going to be some uh, negative opinions and some uh, negative posts in the Hall of Dogma might step on some people's toes. But I think this is a conversation worth having. I think this is something worth considering. And I don't want to enter into this in a mean-spirited sort of way. But I want to throw out something for us to consider uh, about a very popular, best-selling Christian book. The name of the book is Jesus Calling, and it is written by a lady named Sarah Young, whom I don't know very much about. And the catalyst for this conversation is the fact that just this week, my dear wife and I were out doing some Christmas shopping at what used to be called the Baptist Bookstore and is now called Lifeway. Christian stores. And in that store, I took pictures of this, and I'm going to post them in the Hall of Dogma, maybe on Twitter as well. In that store, uh, in the Trustful store, which is a suburb of Birmingham where we record from, of, of Lifeway, there was literally somewhere between 12 and 20 larger than normal displays of the book Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Some of them were stacked up neatly on the floor. Some of them were uh, kind of a neat kind of dis- uh, display in a bookshelf, various bookshelves, but they were all over the store. And I know a little bit about the book, and it essentially, uh, w- without going into too, too deep into the details, Sarah Young in 1992 read a book called God Calling. God Calling is a devotional book that was written by two anonymous people who said that they listened to God and they wrote down what God said to them. The, the messages that, that from the book God Calling were written in the first person, um, as in, you know, it's God speaking and using I, and that became uh, Sarah Young's inspiration for Jesus Calling. Now, if you read God Calling, it's kind of new age. It, it's, it doesn't... It's not terribly biblical, but she was so inspired by this book that she says in her own words, she says, after the year after I got this book, the following year, I began to wonder if I too could receive messages during my times of communing with God. I had been writing in prayer journals for years, but that was one-way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. Long story short, she began to write down messages from God. 
later, she compiled those messages into a book, again, sold 10 million copies, that's featured prominently in evangelical Christian bookstores that essentially are written in the first person from the perspective of God, broken up into daily readings. And I'll give you guys an example of it, and then I'm going to let you kind of uh, uh, throw out your um, your take on this. And again, I think we should be gentle. There are people listening to this show that greatly value the book and probably wholeheartedly reject it. Here's an example. This is from uh, the January 8th. Um, Softly I announce my presence. Shimmering hues of radiance tap gently at your consciousness, seeking entrance. Though I have all power in heaven and on earth, I am infinitely tender with you. The weaker you are, the more gently I approach you. Let your weakness be a door to my presence. Whenever you feel inadequate, remember that I am your ever-present help. Now, I don't see anything in there that's contrary to the Bible, The thing that worries me is that this is a book written in the first person as if God is speaking. What do you guys think about that? I'll be be honest with you. I don't know anything about the book or the author, so I'm going to do what every good American Christian does in this scenario, and I'm going to give you my opinion. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, Anything that keeps the shack off of the – no, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Nice. I, I think what you said just now about you know you didn't see anything in there that was unbiblical. I don't have a problem with it being expressed in the first person uh, if what's being said is is biblical. You know, if you get kind of namby bamby out there, I would be concerned uh, because uh, I am I'm not a cessationist, but I am very uh, careful. To kind of clarify, if I say, you know, I feel God leading this way versus God said, um, I, I think sometimes we can be a little uh, liberal with with saying God told me or God said. Um, and so I think if it's if if it's if it's in line with what Jesus would say, um, I don't I don't know that there's uh, a, a danger in that. But uh, to be honest with you, um, I don't know. It, it's not, not not to 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 go off the deep end here. It sounds like a girl book. I think it is fairly oh, it, popular with females. It's definitely aimed at women. Um, but here's the question: Would you like somebody to, to to speak for you and say things that sound like something you would say, <laughs> or would you just like to speak for yourself? And see, that's the question of the book, you know? Well, now that you put it that way, it is kind of awkward. Yeah. Um, you know, you might say something like, go Wildcats. Um, you know, I know you're a Kentucky fan. But what if I was to speak speak for you on something else, you know what I'm saying? And say, well, you know, I was sitting in my, you know, at my table having coffee this morning and got a message from Kevin in my brain and... I think he wants me to tell you this. It, here's 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 this is a tough one because I don't have a. I'm not a cessationist either. Um, I know Reformed people have a problem with the book because they believe that the Bible is all you need and nothing else, and that's all God gave you, and you cling to it, and it's the fourth person of the Trinity, and God doesn't speak anymore. And I know that you know cessationists send your email to Emmanuel. 
B. Marshall. <laughs> and they're wrong, and it's sad. But here's the thing. God still speaks. If he doesn't speak to you, there's probably a problem with your receiver. It's broken. But God still speaks. I don't know that he speaks in such a way that he wants me to write a book in in first person. Does that make sense? Uh, um, it makes total sense to me. I think it's exceedingly presumptuous. It is presumptuous. And now the Bible is often written in first per, first person, and those people were prophets. I still believe the gift of prophecy exists. However, I, you know, I, I'm also a clan, uh, you know, canon clothes kind of guy. So. You know, so if he is giving her a message, I don't know that it's for her to write and give it to everybody else. And and it, it feels very new agey. You know, Jesus is knocking at the door of my consciousness. I don't know if he's doing that. You know, I, I don't know if Jesus is knocking at the door of my consciousness, you know. Well, consider um, it this way. What about if we had a, a pastor on Sunday morning that uh, stood up and, and his sermon was essentially, uh, in the first person, a message from God. Church, I love you. I call you to love each other. Let my Holy Spirit wash over you and let that love overflow to each other. I am here today to comfort you with my presence. I just think that that would be, if I was sitting in a church with a pastor that did that, I I would be a little alarmed, even if nothing he said would technically be heretical. I think it depends on if he's quoting a scripture and he's saying, "Oh, absolutely." It's it's a, you know, um, I will never leave you or forsake you. Yeah, but if he's presuming to if he's presuming to speak for God, that is a very. And here's the thing: I believe that people do speak for God still. In other uh, words, you believe in the ongoing, active oh, spiritual yeah. gift of prophecy. Yeah, or just, I mean. Which Paul commands us in the book has, of 1 Corinthians to been, eagerly there, desire it. Yeah, there have been times when I'd be praying for somebody and God will tell me to tell them something. Um, no, I wouldn't put it in a book for mass consumption. But Do I you do, tell them in, in the first person? No. I, I, don't, I don't either. I don't. I don't. Um, I just tell them, you know, I feel like God is saying this in this moment, you know, but it's yeah, it's just weird. And the fact that it's and here's the thing, if, if people who people who know me know that I have a few life rules. And one of those rules is if it's popular, it's probably evil. Um, so anything <laughs> that's a little that's, cynical, but I, I think anything I get that's really from. popular, I automatically think something is wrong with it. when the purpose driven life was popular. I did not like the purpose driven life. And then I read it and then I was like, eh. I see why I don't like the purpose of my life. Um, and I'm well, not, if only David were here to. And I'm not an anti Rick Warren guy, but bit. I just did not like that book. Is um, that the reason you don't like Alabama? Uh, I don't like Alabama because Alabama fans are front-running nitwits. Oh, wait a minute. Where's the mute button? But, this is absurd. <laughs> we don't allow heresy on this show. But it's because. Unfortunately, it's, it's I don't it. know how to work it's, this. It's because they're popular. You know? <laughs> They root for the popular team. They're probably Yankees fans, Roll Titan, Cowboys fans, and whoever's winning at the moment, that's who they root for. But they can't be Cowboys fans then. No, but they were probably Cowboys fans in the nineties, and now they're probably like <laughs> Patriots fans or something. 
But anything that's just really popular, I, I have an automatic distrust for. Yeah, I'm um, Because the truth is, Jesus ain't popular. You know, um, probably the best, most of the best, at least modern books written about Jesus probably will never sell as many copies as that book. You know, and they won't have 14 displays. Um. Let me ask you this then, okay? I I, I think if, if if you people are listening to this and you really think about it, I mean, is it, you understand this is this is a woman we don't we don't know much about that is essentially claiming to channel the voice of God, and I, we don't find I, I have not I've not read extensively in the book, but I've read enough quotes from her that I've not been able to find something that directly contradicts Scripture, which is obviously a good thing. But at the same time, um, if you believe in the ongoing gift of prophecy, uh, we're commanded in Thessalonians to weigh every prophetic word discerningly. Um, and I don't, I don't, I mean, this is like a, a pure book of prophecy, it would seem, written in the first person that troubles me. What would you guys, and I'll go to you first, Emmanuel, what would you guys say to a person that is listening right now? And they're upset or they're hurting or they're saying, you know, I take great comfort from this book. I love this book. This book was so meaningful to me. What would you say to that person? (laughs) First, I'd say, you know, there's a lot of things that I take great comfort in. Doesn't mean they were good for me. Uh, When I was a teenager, there were a lot of books that I took great comfort in, you know. Uh, So what? You know, life isn't about your comfort. And what you find appealing to you, because I, everything that comforts me, well, I'll say everything, but a lot of things that I like are probably not good for me. This is where you sound like a Calvinist, by the way. Um, that's the little, I got a little, I got a little Puritan little in bit, me. A little, little bit, yeah. My mom's a big Puritan fan, and so I, but. Uh, they have a good football team. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and the thing is. This is where you ought to pray for discernment, because when I first read just a little bit of the book, like my, you know, my my discernment was like, this is not good. This is not right. Alarms were going off. Yeah. yeah. And but everybody doesn't have it. And it's like, well, it makes me feel good and I like it. And they're like, the writing is beautiful. And, you know, I want Jesus to, you know, knock on the door of my conscience. And they're not really thinking about like, well, what's the what is the book really leading me to? You know, it's the gospel in it. You know, I, I haven't read enough of it to, you know. Um, My understanding from other people who have reviewed it is that there is uh, limited discussions of the cross and the gospel in it. And you have to get pretty deep in the book before you get to and that. And from what I read about it, a lot of it was about you. It's about what, you know, Jesus talking to you about you. Yeah. And Jesus not doing what he normally does, which is pointing to the Father. And <laughs> because, you know, it's not about you. Jesus is not here to tell you all about you for having however many pages this long this book is. Um, Jesus points to the Father. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. And so if you got a book that's pointing to you a lot, uh, you know, I'd question it. You know, I just, you know, I'd, I'd question it. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough one, you know. Okay, and and back to your question about uh, remove the book away for just a minute. Uh, Vody Bauckham, 
Uh, I saw him speak one time, and he talked about you've got to be careful when you use the defense. It works for me for anything. And he, and he talked about the importance of really understanding why you have faith in God. And you don't have faith in God because it works for you. Mm-hmm. Because there's somebody out there who can say, my life was falling apart, and then this squirrel ran out in front of my car. And from that point on, everything went well, and that squirrel just works for me. Um, something working for you does not make it right or wrong. That's a good point. That's a, good that's a very good point. And a, and a good person to reference there, Kevin. Um, this is what I would say. I, I guarantee you there's people listening to this that, that are, are, you know, hurt, offended. And I, 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 I tend to probably worry about that more than I should. At the same time, I want to be gentle. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't want people just to kind of slam their iPhone down and say to heck with you guys i you know i don't don't have to listen to what you say i I would urge you if you're listening to this and you're in a bit of a quandary um consider kind of going back a little bit of what you said emmanuel consider what the jesus of the bible says and does how he interacted with people go read the word look at what he said to people look at how he taught to taught people listen to his words and his focus and i think you're gonna find it's just different than what you get out of jesus calling Mm -hmm. different to the point where you might say it's a different author it's a different person speaking and I don't say that to disparage Sarah Young, who I know nothing about. It seems like her motivations are good. She might be a very decent woman. But I don't believe she's channeling Jesus, yeah. the Son of God. Test the spirits, as, as Paul warns us. Yes. Uh, and I honestly think, dear listener to this show, you will find greater hope and more substantial foundation um, in the word of God than you will in Jesus calling. And so I, I would urge you to not get your words from the Lord from a devotional, uh, but from his word. And this is from a person that believes in modern prophecy. Uh, I, I believe that, that we, uh, the, the body of Christ, I believe we're commanded in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. We're commanded to eagerly desire prophecy. It's like a command. And I, I, I've wondered before how a cessationist might deal with that. They might just say, well, that was, that's not for us. But quite frankly, I believe the whole New Testament is for us. I, I believe we're commanded to do that. And yet I believe this book is a, a danger. Yeah, it, it it pulls people away from the word in a in a in a dangerous sort of way. So as as Emmanuel encouraged you, be discerning. As Kevin encouraged you, just because it makes you feel good doesn't necessarily mean it is good for you. And I would also add, and this is my uh, uh, Pentecostal charismatic background, that you don't need this lady to tell you uh, to give you messages from God. Uh, God can speak to you directly. He might not speak to you enough for you to write a book. I'm sorry, but but God can send you messages directly. Um, he doesn't need Sarah Young. Um, so there's that. 
there is that. And I will say this again as somebody who believes in prophecy. I the, Some of the clearest, most of the clearest time God has, quote, spoken to me has been in times where he's quickened the word. I, I don't believe mm-hmm. that's the only way it happens. Yeah. But but there are times when the word comes alive in a way that the, the spirit just daggers it into your heart full of hope, joy, and love. And I, I don't know that you get that from Jesus yeah. calling, to put it mildly. Here, here's a good quote from the book. This is this this book will t- this quote will tell you all you need to know. I who command a universe, I await the commands of my children. Is that really in the book? Oh, that, that's just rubbish, right there. I mean, no offense. Like, that's God, utter rubbish. If you read that and were like, yeah, that makes sense. No, God is not awaiting your commands. Mm. And and the thing about the new age stuff is like they. You can you can have a lot of Christian principles, Christian language, and then just sneak in some, you know, kind of humanism, sneak in some, you know, you can sneak in a lot of stuff because you've already I, – I, I remember that my mom bought a, a used book one time. It was a devotional, and it looked like a Christian devotional. And I think she said she got halfway through it before she realized – that it was new age, but she couldn't tell because they were they were using scriptures and they were quoting scriptures and they were citing scriptures. And then when she got halfway through it, she realized this is a new age book, you know. But it took her halfway through it to realize it because she just saw the scriptures. And, wow, um, stuff is sneaky sometimes. It's not good, you know. Right. There is a lot of sneakiness in that. By the way, Emmanuel, I think that quote comes from God Calling, ah. which is the book that heavily influenced Jesus Calling rather than Jesus Calling. Sorry about that. Google uh, let me down. No, well, no, I mean, it's 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 similar and it's an influence. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I await the commands of my children. Wow, <laughs> that is so stupid. Um, I say that with love. All right, fellas, speaking of saying things with love, how about we close out the show with a couple of minutes, uh, a bit tongue-in-cheek, talking about the worst things in the world in the church. This is your opportunity to vent for about 90 seconds about the silly things that happens inside religious institutions. Kevin, how about you go first? What is the worst thing in the world in church? Well, the worst tongue-in-cheek thing. Because there are bad, bad things. We could go to a dark place here. <laughs> We're going to have a little fun with it. Um, we, my wife and I, used to attend a church uh, where there were like uh, a senior pastor and like five associate pastors, and they all had these chairs on the stage that looked like thrones almost. I'm talking about super high back uh, chairs, yes. super uh, big armrest. And and the and the thing, a little just, crappy gold spray paint looking stuff on it, you know. It, and the thing, oh that, the thing that was kind of awkward, creepy about it was the associates and the senior pastor would sit in the chairs while the worship leader was leading worship. And then once worship was over, the worship leader would take a seat and the senior pastor would stand up. And, and it was just awkward to see these men like the round table around the, the pastors who was preaching or the, uh, the worship leader worshiping. It was just, it was just awkward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a king in his court, kind of up and elevated in front of everybody. That's always kind of bothered me. You don't yeah. you, know, you don't just see that like I've seen that in Presbyterian churches and things like that. It's um uh yeah, that's that's a little yeah. that's a little disturbing. Yeah. Pastors with a little king complex. 
See, that bothers me. You know, it makes me wonder. I mean, have you not read the things Jesus tells us about titles and the greatest among you will be your servant and, and things chairs. like that? Oh, and thrones, yeah. He didn't say anything about chairs. No, he didn't. But he, you it know was, what? It was implied. It's implied. It, it implied, exactly. All right, Emmanuel, what is the worst thing in the world in the church for you? I've got two things that are related. And altar calls. Altar calls? Are you, now, are you against people coming to Jesus? Holy cow. <laughs> Some people, yeah. Pray for me. <laughs> don't save him, God. I don't like him. I don't want to see him in eternity. Oh, that was honest. No. I can't help it. I'm cursed with honesty. But it's not that I don't I'm – if I'm okay with people wanting to come to the front if they want to come to the front and, and pray or whatever. What I don't like is the philosophy philosophy behind it. So it's like – Okay, we serve this. Well, the all- church has been doing altar calls for two thousand years, Emmanuel. Uh, right, two hundred, not even two hundred. But, but but I mean, Paul, Peter, did, no. Where did it come from? It came from the revivals in the eighteen hundreds during the Great Awakening, or actually after oh. the Great Awakening, and people wanted to count how many salvations they had. And so they were like, well, counting is always a good thing in the Bible, isn't it? And so (laughs) there's a whole book called numbers. (laughs) They were having these, they were having these large crowds, which is also where tent meetings came from because they figured out, Hey, we, you know, people were, crowds were too big. And they said, Hey, we can have it outside in the tent. And they realized that the outside was conducive to get a certain emotional reaction. That's a whole nother story for another day. Wow. But they would say, what's the, how can we count the people we're saving? You know, and and I say it that way intentionally, and that was the way. We'll have them come down front, and it's easier for us to count them. And so that was the what the altar call for, was for. Now the way we use it today is, you know, we serve a great and all powerful God, but He cannot reach you in your seat. <laughs> If you want God to do something for you, you have to come forward and kneel down up front because God is up front, but he is not five feet away from up front. He had, you have to come up front. And it's this idea that, like, you know, that God can't do anything if you're in your seat. you got to come up front. And it's stupid. Stop doing it. And the other thing that's related is <laughs> when me and my wife first got married. Actually, even before that, she has this thing where if we pray, we have to join hands or touch <laughs> in some way. And she'll say, like, touch and agree. And I'm like, this is stupid. So if we touch in hands, God is listening. If we don't touch hands, God's not listening. <laughs> nice. It's this superstitious stuff. So here's That's hard for me because I have the world's itchiest nose. So anytime I'm in a church or a setting where – they make you hold hands like my nose is like on fire. <laughs> and you're like, and so I, please, please let go of my hand. I, I'm dying here. No, I'm not against hand holding. I'm just saying, if, as, as far as, as I, I know, you don't free, get, I'm okay. you don't get like a little extra something from God because you're holding hands. Well, isn't and that what the two or three are gathered together versus? No? Okay. You're gathered. You don't have to be touching. And God is just as powerful in your pew, in your chair than he is as he is up front. Uh, so you do not have to go forward. If you just want to because you like it, that's fine. But Yeah. yeah. 
Now, Chase, if you're holding hands and your nose is on fire, do you just and they won't let go? Will you pull their hand up there and take care of business? If I have to, I sure will. (laughs) Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Now, preferably, it's with your wife or I don't know one of your kids, not you know just some (laughs) random person in the church that's going to be grossed out by touching your nose. Usually, I just try to do the kind of the shoulder hunch and 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 such. But I'm a little older now. I'm not quite as flexible as I (laughs) used to be. It's hard to itch your nose. Yeah. Um, all right, that, that's good. Here, I, look, I, we don't do altar calls hardly ever at the HOD church, partially because I, I think there's been so many false conversions in America in, in the 21st century. You know, we're telling people here are the three steps you need to do to get saved, and I don't think that kind of stuff is in the Bible. I don't even like show of hands. Yeah, you know, I don't either. Just, I don't everybody either. eyes are closed. You don't have to get up out of your seat. Just show a hand so we'll know. Like, why do you need to know? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Cool. I, I look I, all the things we've talked about today. I'd love people's feedback on uh, the prodigals, uh, altar calls, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus calling, buffalo uh, wings, buffalo wings. Uh, we would love your feedback on that. And, and I'll give you my worst thing in the world in the church thing, and then we'll we'll close out the show. But my worst thing in the world in the church comes from this very day where I uh, I, I teach at a college. I had to park uh, at a church that's next door to the college because uh, all the park places were taken up and I parked uh, next to where all the staff cars were and as I got out I noticed there was a parking space that was labeled first family and I kind of chuckled you know because that's a little silly and then as I walked I noticed that this parking lot which is not huge had four parking spaces labeled first family and one parking space labeled pastor Man, I gotta tell you guys that flies all over me. What? What? What does that even mean? First family. You're not the president. You're not the king. You're not the emperor. You're a pastor, and your family is a family. Have you considered that Adam and Eve may be going to that church, and they want to park next to the pastor? Well, you know what? If that's what it means, I withdraw my criticism because Look, that's fine. No, if, if Adam and Eve is going to that, going to that church, they need to be parking the farthest away from the building because. Uh, they messed a lot up. They don't deserve to have. Well, that is a good point. You, you know, know, they need to save those spots for pregnant women and older people. <laughs> I mean, precisely. Well, why do pastors think they should get the best parking place in the church? Your servants. So silly. Get rid of the throne and the parking space. Yes. Don't have a, a, a custom parking space. I'm not saying act humble. I'm saying, I think, be humble. Goobers. Okay. That's the end of my rant. So what Emmanuel learned in this episode was king pastors are bad. <laughs> really, really, really yeah. terribly bad. If you have a throne and a parking space, you need to reevaluate your life. Yes. And uh, I guess thanks for listening to whatever <laughs> amount of gospel friends you did. We'll see you in heaven, hopefully. All right, fellas. Well, I, I wish we had time to go through the Hall of Dogma, which is our Facebook group uh, for great discussions of the show and other theological topics. There's some great stuff in there. Uh, Daniel's got a post right now about an over-the-top professor. Uh, Corey's got a post about the belt on the shelf, which is an offshoot of the elf on the shelf. I saw you kind of like that, Emmanuel. Yeah, I despise elf on the shelf. 
Daniel Lee uh, talking about his original Nintendo. Jeanette Acock with uh, David Letterman, who apparently addressed the whole church at a Buffalo Wild Wings. That's he pretty did. nutty. They made, they made the big time. Tony Vance, who, by the way, has written a book, and I just bought it before the show. Look forward to uh, giving you a review and an, uh, a recommendation on the book next week. Lee Trowbridge, all sorts of good things in here. I, there was one article that I think if we ever recover Nick, we are going to talk about with him. Chris Atwood posted it. It has to do with working women starting to unplug from the church. Uh, we will try to deal with that. Next week, week after maybe when Nick is here, uh, because he's got a lot of experience with his wife being a full-time teacher. Well, guys, that's it for me. Anybody have uh, closing comments? Don't huff rice. Don't huff rice? Wiser words have never been spoken. That's possible? Apparently Nick did it. Oh, it was rice that was culprit, huh? I thought it was chicken. Wait, we're not supposed to talk about this. Oh, sorry. Well, maybe we are. I don't know. Maybe he'll edit it. If you hear this, then uh, you're hearing secret information uh, only for uh, special people. Keep your nose ke- clean, kids. Amen. Keep your nose clean. All right, folks, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. We were more prepared for Episode 29 than we were for Episode 28, which, by the way, we had more feedback on that episode than any other episode we've ever had, and I think I probably can understand why. We will see you next week. Be sure and check out uh, our Twitter, twitter.com slash mygospelfriends, uh, the Hall of Dogma in Facebook, and www.thegospelfriends.com. Thanks for listening. Kevin and Emmanuel, thank you guys for pitch hitting, and uh, we appreciate your time. God bless everyone. Amen, and I'm out. Jesus is a friend of mine.